Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. That survival mechanism in your brain is absolutely incredible. It's very powerful. It's very strong. But it's flawless. It can't differentiate between that saber-toothed tiger or, you know, seeing a triggering post on social media or having a fallout with a friend or a colleague. It's triggering in exactly the same way and flooding the body with the same chemicals and things. So if you're feeling anxious, it really isn't your fault. But what we can do now is have that awareness and, and stop. Welcome to another season of Alone Month, the podcast about the time you spend alone and why it matters. I'm your host, Francesca Spector, author of Alone Month, How to Be Alone and Absolutely Own It, and a former extreme extrovert who, a few years ago, discovered the life-changing power of taking some time to myself. On this show, I interview fascinating people who can give inspiration and practical advice on how to make your alone time the best it can be. Because when alone time isn't lonely, it's alonement. Before recording this episode today, I took 10 minutes for myself. I sat at my kitchen table, had a cup of tea and looked into the distance and basically did nothing. Now, this Sounds a bit like alonement, and it is, but it's also the advice of this week's guest, Megan Hyen. Her advice is to stop. That's an acronym that means stop, think, observe, and plan. It's the way that we calm down when we need to get ahead of ourselves in a crisis. And my God, does that come into Megan's job. She is a survival expert who works on and off camera to make some of the most extreme adventure shows on television happen safely. She works closely with her friend Bear Grylls on his shows, and she's been described by Bear as stronger than 99% of the men I know. Given that her previous expeditions have involved getting caught in the gunfire of warring tribes and being chased by opium farmers, it's easy to agree. She also has a pretty incredible ability to relate her very extreme hardcore lifestyle to everyday learnings that we could all benefit from, as evidenced by the title of her book, Mind of a Survivor, What the Wild Has Taught Me About Survival and Success. And with that in mind, I'm so curious today to see how Megan applies this knowledge to the time that we spend alone. Before we get to the episode, I want to give a big shout out to this season's sponsor, Flashpack 
a travel company for solo travellers in their 30s and 40s, providing boutique group adventures all around the world. There's trips to Bali, Morocco, Sri Lanka, Japan. The world is your oyster. I've been working with Flashpack since the beginning of this year. And last April, I had the chance to experience one of their adventures for myself, traveling the hotspots of Colombia. I made so many new friends, many of whom I'm still in touch with, and had the kind of colorful, memorable experiences I'd been craving for the past couple of years of lockdown, including salsa dancing, boat trips, and eating delicious South American cuisine. What's incredible about going away with Flashpack is that you get the best of both worlds. Wonderful company, if you'd like it, and the ease of having someone else sort out the logistics, but also the independence of choosing where and when you'd like to have an adventure. If you'd like to experience a Flashpack holiday for yourself, they've provided an exclusive discount offer to all Alonement listeners. Quote the code ALONEMENT to give you £100 off your dream trip today. Megan, I was so excited today ahead of this recording. Thank you so much for coming on. It just made me reflect on how privileged I am to host this podcast and to talk face-to-face with people like you. So on behalf of myself and my listeners, thank you. Oh, no, well, thank you. I mean, it's such an important message to get out there, particularly off the back of COVID and like how we're seeing like sort of a real breakdown with our mental health, like globally. Uh, it's such an important message. So I'm, I'm, yeah, feel really honoured to be here. Thank you. Oh, and so I have so many questions about time alone for, you know, time alone for better and for worse. We, we explore all nuance on this show. But the first question I want to ask is, uh, you know, we all know what's coming. This is always one of my first questions. What does the word alone mean to you? So to me, alone is quite a literal meaning of like literally being on your own. But that could also be you could be surrounded by other people and still be alone. It's being separated from those that you love or those that you care about or those that you know. So alone to you is a literal thing. And you've had a lot of time to do it quite literally. I was I was listening to you on the adventure podcast about how that solitude came into your life quite early on you told this story about going out cycling aged nine on your dad's old bike uh, which you decided to take on a detour through the hills near where you lived which I mean amazing thing for a nine-year-old to be off doing where did you get the courage to go out alone and do that I think it's I think I've always had it I've always had this kind of need for exploration and for finding answers in things like my brain is just like works at a million miles an hour and it's just so full of like of questions and like curiosity about the world around me and I think that for me was quite a defining moment in terms of setting me on the path that I've then gone on to follow. Uh, I remember I was sort of cycling home from school one day on my dad's old bike. I remember just thinking, like, I wonder if I can cycle along the, the Malvern Hills, which is where I grew up. So I just took the bike off, didn't really kind of even really kind of think about it, just took the bike off along the hills. And like, right, I just remember like this really kind of defining moment of like, I was coming down this really steep, really gravelly track with kind of like little boulders in, the, in it and I just remember like I had the brakes jammed on and they weren't working and I was kind of sliding all over the place and the basket had fallen off and I was shaking off and was dragging on behind me and I couldn't stop but I just remember having this like huge grin on my face and just like everything just felt so right in that moment and from then on it was then became 
like a real kind of focus in my life was to then every day go off I'd be off running or biking and really kind of just pushing myself to see what I was capable of and it became a very sort of personal situation and I I loved and I still do love that time on my own where I go off into the mountains because I'm based here in Snowdonia I can go out of my back door straight into the into the mountains here and for me it's like it's where I find my creativity and where I kind of reconnect put life back into perspective again as well so it's like very very lucky and very fortunate to have found that at mm. such a young age yeah you are because I, I guess I mean it took me until 27 to value any time alone so really I, I kind of hold my hands up to you I, uh, I'm really curious, actually, because we're going to get on to your solo expeditions and the sort of amazing kind of large scale things that you do do in the wild alone. But you reference being able to effectively go out into your back garden that is Nodonia and be able to take that time during the day. How does that work in practice with your lifestyle in those times that you are at home? Uh, so my lifestyle is quite fluid. I spend a lot of time on the road or before COVID, I was kind of away 10, 11 months of each year, kind of bouncing from jungles to deserts to mountains on film shoots and expeditions. So when I was, when I'm back at home, like my time is really precious to me. And that's, as I've got older, I've become more comfortable in kind of setting boundaries as well and protecting that time. So for me, COVID actually was like a fantastic opportunity to sort of revisit myself and like what makes me tick and like why I got into this, onto this journey in the first place and gave me more time actually out exploring sort of my, my locality and going at getting out into the mountains. Training is like a huge part of my everyday life, but it's also you know where I feel most happiest is outside in, in the mountains and moving. Hmm. And, and I can see, I mean, I'm just, to be honest, I'm just very envious of the incredible tan that you have through spending all that time outside <laughs> on this call. Oh, it's, it's not so good for the skin, though. Like, I wish <laughs> I started using uh, sun cream uh, at a much younger age. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this, this podcast comes with a warning, but no, you look fantastic. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's, yeah it's the fresh air as well, isn't it? And uh, so, and, and you live, do you live with a partner when you're at home who also does a similar thing, a similar career? So I was I was in a long-term relationship for, for over 10 years. The most incredible person who does similar, well, does the same work. We worked together for, well, for over a decade. We knew each other for much longer than that. Um, but yeah, we we went our separate ways at the beginning of COVID. Yeah, we were kind of based in different countries and things. So now at the moment, I'm just kind of enjoying exploring the world and uh, yeah, sort of reconnecting with my own reasons for participating in outdoor activities and having my own adventures again. Yeah, and don't I know that? I mean, alonement came came about as a concept after a breakup. So it can be weirdly, weirdly good times for that time, um, that self-growth. And then tell me, tell me more about these solo expeditions that you've taken further afield. Yeah, so I started, I mean, I was very lucky, actually. My parents were so open-minded to me spending time outside. Like both of them were very much into the outdoors. So all our family holidays were to go and explore the mountains around the UK. So I, like I was going wild camping by myself at 12, 13 up in the mountains here. Wow. Yeah. I didn't think I was allowed to go to a shopping centre <laughs> at that age. <laughs> I feel really lucky, actually, about that. Because I. So it was never, I never really even thought that it was weird because my my mum's actually from North Wales so they dropped me at the base of a mountain and I'd go off for a couple of days and then you know I'd, I'd 
of organizers this was before like mobile phones were really a thing <laughs> so I then organized with them where I'd be picked up from so I'd always have to like have a route and a journey and like my dad was um, had done a lot of expeditions when he was younger it was when he was a geologist so he'd make me do these route plans <laughs> so I knew and they knew or he knew where I was going and where I should be so in terms of like navigation like those kind of skills and things I had developed them quite at quite a young age and uh, that was good so they could always follow my my journey. Do you think it does help to sometimes have parents who sort of know what's going on there because I think that often we model our behavior on yeah. our parents and what they tell us is safe. Definitely yeah I think I mean there's a big thing with like passing fear on to your children you know if you've got like an irrational well, what it appears to be an irrational fear or you've never had an experience like spiders or you know, things it's like if you've never had a bad encounter with that thing that you're absolutely terrified of chances are it's been passed down from your parents or your grandparents and it's become a bit of a generational pattern which I think is why it's always good to question these things um, I think sometimes <laughs> with stuff though knowing more about something because my my parents would have understood the risk as well that I was taking so they could very easily have said well we understand the risk you know you could get lost you could fall off the edge of something you could have an accident and they could have said no you're not going to do that but they were willing to kind of take that take that risk Mm. yeah it's interesting to hear that and I know that you work with a lot of sort of youth um, work as well you have done in the past with youth expeditions um I uh can I hear chickens in the background? I'm actually curious about this. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're not mine. Um, I, so my my house is like an old farm complex. So this the place that so my house is like 1800s. It was it was built as like an old traditional Welsh farmhouse, and then there's a few kind of farm buildings around, and it's still just still a working farm next to me. So the uh, the chickens, thankfully, I think the rooster here seems to have got better with its body clock because it was just going 24 <laughs> hours a day for a while. Oh lord, okay, but yeah. I mean, I guess they're not they're not tigers, right? They're not <laughs> they're no, not bears. It's, it's probably probably a bit of a break for you being around <laughs> this menagerie <laughs> of uh, farmyard animals. Well, wonderful. I think that you know that's the that's the backing track we need to this <laughs> to this show. Anyone listening, they have the context now. That's hilarious. So I had. I had this question and it's based on something I was doing just before this podcast. Uh, When you're teaching navigation to young people, we were just speaking about learning to navigate and and become sort of a survivor as a a young person. When you're teaching navigation to Duke of Edinburgh groups or beginner navigators, you tell people when they get lost to stop. That's uh, stop, think, observe and plan and to have a cup of tea, which... To begin with, it sounds like immensely British advice to just stop and have a cup of tea when something goes wrong, but also sounds amazingly uh, counterintuitive in a way. T- tell me about this. Okay, so this is, um, I've done a lot of kind of like research into survival and you know why some people survive and others don't. And often it's in that moment where something goes wrong and the fight, flight, freeze response kicks in, which takes us out of the logic and reasoning of the more human side of our brain. And there's a very big chance then that we kind of run around like headless chickens and <laughs> the situation then snowballs completely out of control. So there's a lot of people that have run into quite serious difficulties uh, while they've been out and about. And you know, some of them have sadly lost their lives due to this, whereas if they had just stopped for a moment and allowed themselves to calm back down, chances are they would still be with us. So 
the anagram of stop, which is stop, think, observe and plan, is as soon as that fight, flight, freeze response kicks in, as long as you're safe and in a safe position, then just stop. And that's when it's like, get get the brew kit out, get a, get your tea on. I have to admit, I'm actually a very un-British in that I've never really drunk tea. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm more of a coffee drinker. Ah. Um, yeah, never liked it. It's very un-British. But um, yeah, so stopping in that moment, getting your brew on. And just by doing those kind of like familiar actions and refocusing your brain onto something else allows us to then come back into kind of a more logical reasoning, allows us to kind of settle down that side of our brain that has now gone into a very animalistic stress response kind of zone. You've then got your brew and then your brain is then freer to start thinking. So for example, you've been wandering along a track and you've stepped off the track to, to go for a wee and you've stood up and you put your rucksack back on and you look around and it's like, you can't see the path. <laughs> and it's very, it's amazing in that moment of like how quickly the brain is to go like, shit, shit, shit. Like I've locked, like I can't see it, I can't see it. And then like you start running around and you're going all over the place. Um, and that's when you get disorientated and you really do lose that track. Whereas actually in that moment, if you stopped and then you, you get yourself into a position where you can think about it, well, it's like, well, I'm only like 50 yards away from this path. I haven't gone very far from it, so it must be here. So you're then thinking about it and then you can then observe. So you're then looking for maybe there's signs of having like walked into that area and you can have a look around and see whether there's any footprints from you coming in there. Can you see the path around you? And then obviously if you see it, then you can step back onto it. But if you can't see it, well, then you can start making a plan because the logical part of things, well, the path's really close to me. So now I can like create like a search pattern where I then go out in concentric circles. And at some point I'm going to bisect that path. I'm going to come across this path. And this translates into everyday life as well. It's like when we're in a situation that has triggered that stress response. Again, it's just having, having a stop, getting the tea, getting the coffee on, and then just kind of thinking about it, what resources have you got with you, like mentally and physically, that will allow you then to better your situation and ensure that you come out unharmed. And this presumably is really brilliant advice for everyday life, you know, a work crisis or, a, I don't know, a relationship crisis, a friendship crisis, something that seems like that, that comes up and we feel like we have to be in action mode, but actually that stopping would benefit as well yeah absolutely and I think because I think there's you know we're so stimulated all the time like in our everyday lives with we've created this incredible modern world around us that's so full of sound and movement and light and you know we've created ways to overcome our very basic human needs like sleep nutrition hydration safety you know we've created screens we've created light we've created stimulants that like that's mean that we don't need to sleep so much or we feel like we don't need to sleep so much it keeps our brains switched on and it's very very easy to become overwhelmed because our bodies and our brains weren't designed to live like this that fight flight freeze that stress response is designed to be a quick hit to keep us safe to get us out of a situation where we're being stalked by a saber-toothed tiger or something and we need to run away or fight it Whereas if it's switched on all the time, it can lead to overwhelm, which is what we're seeing in the world at the moment with this rise of, you know, sort of mental health conditions, which then leads into physical 
health conditions as well. So yeah, any sort of dynamic that's causing you stress is to be able to stop and think about it and kind of take that step back and get a helicopter view over the situation, put it back into perspective. And oftentimes it's not actually as bad <laughs> as, as our brains have kind of led us to think it is. Mm. Um, I, I, for some reason, I've got in my head that scenario where you're sitting there, you know, up late and you're having a, a conversation that shouldn't be had on WhatsApp, on WhatsApp. And all you need to do is step away, have a cup of tea, breathe and think, let's, let's approach this a bit better or a bit calmer. But those lights, that stimulus that is drawing you in. And yeah, I mean, I love that that's, that's what I'm comparing to the, the giant tiger that you're, you know, <laughs> referring to in the original instance. But you're right. Like, it's amazing how our brains do the same thing to us when approached with threats. Yeah. And it, it can't differentiate. That's the thing. And this is like, you know, where I want people to know, like, that it's not your fault. If you're feeling anxious or you're feeling triggered by a situation, your brain, that survival mechanism in your brain is absolutely incredible. It's very powerful. It's very strong, but it's flawless. It can't differentiate between that saber-toothed tiger or, you know, seeing a triggering post on social media or having a fallout with a friend or a colleague. It's triggering in exactly the same way and flooding the body with the same chemicals and things. So if you're feeling anxious, it really isn't your fault. But what we can do now is have that awareness and and stop and just get ourselves back into that place, put down the phone. <laughs> um, you know, otherwise we're kind of in that headless chicken mode where we're actually snowballing this <laughs> situation out of control. Mm, mm. I, I really like how the chickens have kind of become <laughs> yeah. the central metaphor of this. <laughs> with stop, the advice that you give, uh, you know, with kind of dampening that stress response, how does alone time come into that? Is it necessary? It is definitely, it's very much necessary for for myself, for, for sure. And I, and I think for all of us, because we spend so little time alone, like physically alone, for, like separated from, from other people. And I think there's there's a really interesting like theory. I'm not sure who, who started it, but it was around like that you are a sum of the five people that you spend the most time with. And, you know, we're not always that choosy over who we choose to to give our time to and the influence of other people on us if we're hanging out with somebody who's very negative that starts rubbing off on us and it's kind of quite addictive and quite um, contagious so by going out and spending time alone it helps put things back into perspective it's also for me it's spending time in nature alone so it's getting out and it's moving and that movement's releasing like endorphins and more happy chemicals and kind of getting rid of toxins but it's also just going out and actually leaving my phone behind as well and kind of reconnecting with myself and just being very aware so when I'm out on my own what I'm doing as well is I'm kind of focused I'm trying to be present because my job the work that I do is pretty full-on and there's a very very inherent risk and danger to it so I find like my brain can be quite wired so coming back and actually going out and really kind of looking around me at like here, it's like, I love going in, like going up sort of scrambling and looking at the mountain goats and like the plants and things. It's like, I'm really kind of aware of everything that's around me rather than just kind of wandering aimlessly thinking about all this crazy stuff. And it's like kind of just refocusing my brain onto something else for, for a moment and just being by myself and, you know, taking that breath. Mm. And that, that's also, that's mindfulness, isn't it? Like mountain goat based mindfulness. <laughs> <that you're doing. laughs> yes. 
yeah exactly and it's like it doesn't you know obviously I'm very lucky that I live in the mountains but even in a city like if you're based in London London's like it always blows my mind how green it is and how how beautiful it is and all these incredible parks that that you've got around you that you can go out into or even just walking down the street and like seeing the plants growing in the cracks of a pavement or listening to the birds or uh, you know, somebody walking their dog and just looking at all of these different things that are going on around you that just kind of really brings you back into into yourself. And as you say, like that mindfulness. Mm. It's really nice, actually, to hear you live in Snowdonia, which is one of the most beautiful parts of the UK. And to hear you saying that and actually saying that also London is pretty good. Uh, you know, I think almost we don't give enough credit sometimes to it as a capital city compared to New York or whatever, that we actually do have all those opportunities for green space and it is such a luxury. So, uh, so thank you. Yeah. You've really inspired maybe a, a, a new love of London in some, some people listening. And when it, when it comes to those more extreme periods of solitude that are spent sort of further afield, could you tell me a bit more about, you know, how to, you know, to begin with how, you know, how that would come about in terms of your job, because quite often you'll go to locations a little early, as I understand it, to go and sort of scope them out for, for a show. So how, how would that time work alone? Yeah, so um, a huge part of the work that I do within the TV and film industry is setting up the content of the show. So actually, this is uh, behind me. There's um, there's a load of maps on the wall because <laughs> I'm actually currently in the process of helping set up a show in Nepal. So what I do is I I do a lot of research beforehand into locations that might work for the concept that's been dreamt up. So I'm like involved right from the start and then put those locations forwards. And then oftentimes I'm the first person out on the ground, often by myself, to go and actually explore the region and put the journeys together that you see on screen because of time constraints and budgets being cut and things, the preparation beforehand is absolutely key to making these making these shows work and also kind of building in the safety net so that a crew can safely go into these into these areas as much as possible. So that's what This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June too is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So often when I'm on my own in these, these places, it's a lot of times it's kind of drawing on previous experiences and drawing on like an internal resourcefulness as well. Like particularly if, you know, going into places where, English isn't the first language and, you know, I don't speak the local dialect. So, yeah, you have to kind of find ways of like transferring skills from other avenues of life to help to get the, the job done. And being a survivalist is is all about like that kind of like improvisation. So improvising, adapting and overcoming. So like every single one of us is incredibly resilient. And it kind of frustrates me that we're having to teach resilience um, at the moment because we are all resilient. It's actually what comes after resilient, like is what we really need to be focusing on. But we've all got these incredible life experiences, no matter what your walk of life is, that are transferable into other environments and other fields and things. And it's just unlocking that toolbox that we've got and having the confidence to employ it in that situation that you're in. Mm. But resilience can be difficult when I don't know. I, I don't know if you found this during periods of lockdown. I, I it was for me. It was definitely the longest time. You know, I had spent alone, kind of not seeing people, sort of in actual physical three D form. Um, and you know, I think it was odd, especially because the thing that we could do was go out to the shops, and yet either there'd be a lot of people would be wearing masks. Like actually, it felt like at one point you'd either be kind of I don't know. I think we were, you know, two meters, three meters, four meters, as far as we could get from each other at that point, uh, despite it being uh, London and quite overpopulated over here. But, it, you know, there was that sense of anonymity and isolation. And um, I know that in your in your TED talk, you talk about the body can go for three months without company, you say. And that's the, the maximum amount of time without company before we start what fur trap refer to as a going going bushy was the term which I'd never heard so I, I think that was interesting uh, what does what does going bushy look like and and you know can we can we experience it to some extent without you know with with less time alone or in less extreme circumstances like lockdown yes yeah so we're actually not designed to to be alone so just to, to put it into context as, as well as like kind of like the outdoor side of things I hold a degree in psychology which I completed a while ago just because I'm so fascinated with all with all of these things and the evolution of the stress response in particular and like our evolution and so many of the traits that create anxiety in us is us basically overriding our evolution so things like tribal units is how we were designed originally to, to be able to survive, because if you're living in what's quite a hostile environment, the environment from animal risk and things around us, so like our ancestors, our chances of survival were much greatly, greatly improved by working collaboratively as teams. So we had mechanisms inbuilt within our minds 
to hold us together as units. So things like shame, fear of rejection, these aren't things that we've just kind of imagined up. These are very real things and they're survival mechanisms that were built into us to prevent us from doing stuff (laughs) that might alienate us from our chances of survival, which is why excommunication or like being pushed out of a tribe was actually far worse punishment than death for our ancestors and for people over the over the generations because of that uh, so during lockdown we became very isolated and we're by doing that we were overriding our very programming like which has been around you know since even before humans existed it's ingrained in most animals that they need to bond together or work together. So yeah, just kind of overriding that. So it's no, it's no wonder really that spending time isolated started making us go a bit crazy. And yeah, the fur trappers had this, um, this saying that yeah, if they spent more than three months away from from people, they'd start going a bit bushy, which was like going a bit crazy, kind of starting to lose the plot because yeah, they're being pulled back. They need they need that communication, and it's like that sort of starting to go a bit crazy was like the sign that you know you really need to get back with other people have you gone bushy before <laughs> well yeah yes yeah it's a it's a bizarre feeling and it takes a lot to override it so yeah spending a lot of time on my own it's like I love spending time on my own in terms of like figuring out like what I'm capable of and you know discovering limits and things but yes you there is a point where you get to where you crave other people you crave that physical contact as well as like the emotional contact with other people and although we're far more connected than we've ever been before in terms of like digital media and and stuff it still doesn't quite meet our needs on like a chemical and biological level and also that kind of like physical level as well of being able to touch somebody being able to read somebody's body language properly and, you know, there's a lot of kind of back and forth of hormones and all of this stuff that we're totally unaware of. We're actually only starting really to kind of understand that, those connections and things more now. What do you think was the one that affected you during lockdown out of interest in terms of those? Because yeah, I don't know, I, I think we almost relate to lockdown love languages, the things yeah. we were missing most. Yeah, so well, I think that for me, it was like because I... I guess initially when I sort of really kind of got into the outdoors and into what I do in terms of like pushing myself and stuff, it may have partly been an escape, like escapism from my own anxiety as a child. I've got mild ADHD. So it's like that kind of like sitting in classrooms and stuff would make me really anxious. And I'd have feel like in my chest, like this kind of like building of, um, of anxiety. And so I guess like for me, like finding the outdoors, finding movement was a way to be able to escape those feelings. Uh, and then I made a career out of it, <laughs> like traveling around and like you know, constantly escaping. Yeah, and, ne- and never sitting and actually dealing with those feelings. So when lockdown started and when I found like myself, I wasn't able to travel as much, I was actually terrified because I'd never spent so much time in one place or not since I was very young anyway. And having to sit with that anxiety and face myself initially was like an absolutely terrifying experience. And then I was like, actually, this is, you know, this opportunity might not come around again. And although it's not great financially, it's like, here's an opportunity to actually really explore my identity now, because I'm a very different person than I was when I started guiding and things when I was like 17, 18, you know, like 20 years on, it's like, well, who am I now? And where do I want to go next? And I feel it was such a positive experience. It was very, very tough, but it's been such a positive experience in like, yeah, rediscovering who I am and my identity. Mm. 
That's brilliant. I, I think in on podcasts or I've listened to you or in, in your TED talk, you sort of encourage people to take ownership over their lives rather than be a victim of it. And I think the phrase that you do use in your TED talk is become the hero of your own life. That sounds like that was something you were doing extra specially in, in lockdown there. Yeah, I, th- I think I mean, it was, like I'm actually very grateful for it because I think I was in a I was very close to burnout just before lockdown. The job that I do is inherently stressful. I was literally bouncing from one place, one environment to the next, the next, you know, dealing with jet lag, constantly changing time zones. And the job was inherently stressful and inherently dangerous and responsible for the lives of all the people on set, including some pretty high profile individuals. And then kind of like the stuff being like a lot of politics and stuff involved around the work and that's <laughs> I'm quite simple really that so that stuff was kind of like the side of it that kind of really kind of I didn't know how to deal with that and you know then it started kind of building up and up and became quite overwhelmed with it all so it was great to kind of be able to step step back from that and I think you know sometimes it, again going back to that analogy of like the stop anagram of like you know sometimes we do need to stop when we become overwhelmed and it's very difficult in our everyday lives because so many people are in a routine you know if you've got a family you get you know getting up in the morning getting your kids to school going to work meeting your kids social needs meeting your own social needs and it's like we have these incredibly busy lives where it's actually sometimes feels easier just to go on autopilot and just go through the motions every single day and then we kind of wake up one day and we wonder why we're feeling a bit unhappy or disconnected or overwhelmed. So it's then, you know, creating that space to be able to stop. And, you know, I appreciate in a lot of lives, particularly if you've got children, it's you can't just take time off work. You can't just stop. So then it's like being able to build in time, which is what I did when my doctor diagnosed me with burnout, was to actually start building in initially just 10 minutes a day. I'd take my yoga mat out on a job with me and I'd put it in my hotel room. So every day when I got back from work, I'd literally just take 10 minutes where I would do nothing but sit there and think or just empty my mind. And initially I felt very selfish but from doing that because you know, the director or the producers were wanting stuff from me. And, but I said, no, these boundaries need to be reinforced. And it just became easier and easier. And now it's much easier for me like on a job or you know, in life as well to say, actually, I don't want to do this. I'm not this isn't like benefiting me or the wider world in any way. So no, I'm not, not interested in this. And that just takes a lot of practice to get to that point. And then you're kind of creating space within the chaos. So I kind of think about it as like being in the eye of the storm and you're actually then able to create that calm with the chaos all around you. Was that, so that was 2019 when you were diagnosed with burnout. That was just before. Yeah. Yeah. Lockdown. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that because I mean, you know, talk about responsibility. You're you're responsible for so many people's lives. I mean, you, you know, you're responsible for Bear Grylls' life effectively on set, which is which is bizarre. You know, ima- even imagining that being someone's job. And and also, I know that having listened to you in terms of how you came up with this career that you've invented effectively for yourself, you you the reason that you became so successful and were taken on by so many people is because you were doing a few people's jobs. That, you know, in one, right? You sort of rolled doing, you know, looking at the looking at the ropes, looking at the climbs, looking at all of that into one. So I, I'm not surprised that that led to burnouts to an extent. Yeah, in hindsight, it's like, you know, I, I totally agree. It's like, it's like, it should have been quite obvious. Uh, but I think if, like, if you're a, you know, if you're a high, high achieving 
individual you're like constantly driven I think you're very open to it and it's like the, the last thing you're going to admit to yourself is that you're at risk of this because you're like no I can handle you know whatever like <laughs> um so yes you know, it's, it's having those moments and that that fear because I've I've now started you know the world is now kind of opening up again for me and it's like I've suddenly like back out on the road again. So I've just come back from Southeast Asia and I was out there and I'm like, I'm currently also managing two other massive projects whilst, you know, working crazy long hours a day, traveling all over the place. And I just think this isn't sustainable. And it was a really good eye opener because I was like, how on earth did I do this for, <laughs> for over a decade and keep it up? Because it's like, I'm realizing now having had that space that it's not, it's not healthy. So it was a good good reminder that moving forwards, it's like to engage only in the projects that I feel passionate about or that really can make a make a difference and to ensure that I do have time in my life for myself, for my loved ones, uh, for friends and, and just doing the, the things that I love doing because that's where the energy comes from. Yeah, I love that. Um, I, you know, I hope I hope that that's inspiring for particularly sort of you know solo solo workers who've sort of or freelancers listening to this as well because just you know to hear you say as someone who is you know so incredibly successful aspirational uh, you know someone that has literally been described in headlines as you know by Bear Grylls as you know 99% stronger than than the men he knows you know I think it's very easy to lean into that notion that you are this sort of untouchable like you know superhuman being and I mean don't get me wrong Megan like talking to you I'm sure in so many ways you are but like actually it's very important and very worthwhile I think to hear you talking so honestly about burnout so thank you for that. Oh, no, no. Well, thank you for, for giving me the space to it, because I think it's really important that those kind of things, that the awareness is, ra- is raised over that and that we are able to talk about those, those things or accept them more because we we glamorize stress. You know, it's that for, for so many years in like interviews, it, like the things that people would like pick up on was that, oh, it's so cool that you're like on the road 11 months of the year. And it's like, in hindsight, it's like, wow, I was like, <laughs> that's not cool. <laughs> like That's 11 months of like crazy intense work. And it's like, at the time I was like really proud of that. But now in hindsight, it's like, well, actually that was like the recipe <laughs> for disaster. So, yeah, so we, yeah, kind of glamorizing that of like, you know, the long hours that we work and the amount of time. But the reality is like, again, like our brains can't focus for that long. So, yeah, you might be working like 18 hours a day, but like how many of those hours or how much that time is actually genuinely productive? Because the more tired we get, the less we can actually focus. So, you know, I'm surely that yeah, we can be give ourselves more time for ourselves where we were more refreshed and then we can tick off all of those things much quicker. Mm, mm. And yeah, and I suppose it's that, that kind of thing, like it's not necessarily more is more when it comes to, for instance, you know, if, if anyone's take a look down your Instagram feed, there's all these amazing places you've been to and um, that, you know, that is the nature of the job. But, you know, as you say, you can't, there's only a certain amount that you can take in. It's not, you know, being able to be away 11 months of, the year I'm sure is is you know stressful in terms of simply I don't know, unpacking doing laundry like having a relationship <laughs> yeah. oh yeah yeah all of these things you're preaching to the choir there because I, I effectively you know decided this year was going to be about solo travel so I just opted out of relationships at all like you know out of dating out of anything romantic just like date. I just That's like amazing. I suppose I didn't want my one foot to be back at home and I knew that naturally that's how my brain would switch even if you know there'd been someone I'd been involved with 
And how's how's that been? How like how have you found that in terms of dealing with that side of things emotionally? Immensely liberating, uh, addictive, some might say. Um, hard to justify when at one's brother's wedding and everyone's asking you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> When you're going to settle down and you kind of, you know, have to say, well, actually, there's been no sort of intentionality on that front. That's so inspiring. And I think like that's that's a really important message because there's so much pressure on like to, you know, what society says that we need to have and like, you know, to have a partner, to have a to be married, to have children, to have all of these things. But the world's evolving. And I think it's so, such an inspiring message to say, you know, like I've chosen to be single and I'm happy and it's opened up all of these opportunities. And, you know, hopefully you'll meet somebody amazing while you're on your travels that can uh, join you on that journey. <laughs> well, that could be inconvenient, re- relocating to New Zealand. <laughs> Although I know that you spent a year living there, which is which is cool. But no, I, th- I think, I don't know, I think that... Oh, I think this time one spends being single, um, you know, whether that's a lifetime, like whatever that is, it's it's rich. It's there's so much to it. And it sort of it helps you. I don't know. I think you use the phrase sort of, you know, helicopter above to a bit and realize that actually, oh, there's so much richness to life. And I think that, you know, we can't necessarily have it all, but we don't need to necessarily or, you know, have it all at once at exactly the same time. But we definitely need to, I don't know, entertain that there are other versions of you know having an incredible life and I think that as much as we you know we do sort of scroll through Instagram and look at the odd couple posts and think that's nice I'd definitely be stopping a lot more when I see your feeds so (laughs) I think it's yeah it's it's just it's great so you know I, I think part of why I started this platform was to find those those kind of different models of aspiration yeah, I think that it's so exciting and it's really it's really empowering to hear you talking like that because I think how much we've achieved, like particularly, you know, as, as women, is that over the past few generations, it's like there's so much of the world's opened up to us and we've achieved so much. If you think about like in the UK, like the suffragette movement was really only like 100 years ago, uh, which is only a few generations. And where we are now in terms of like having much more autonomy to be able to explore the world like on our own terms. And yeah, we're very nearly at a point where we, there is like kind of genuine equality in the Western world, which is really, really exciting. And I talked to my grandmother, who's you know, in her 90s now, about how you know, when she had, the, she had an amazing career during the war as a secretary, she was also an actress. And she got married and my grandfather stopped her doing any of those things. He then decided when they had children and how many children they had, because she didn't really understand or know how those things worked. (laughs) So I just think like that's only two generations behind me and how much we've achieved since. But there's no wonder that there's, you know, the talks and stuff around motherhood and parenthood and, how we live our lives and the traditional values versus what we want for the future. No wonder they're kind of stressing us out still because we're not that far removed and we're still dealing with the patterns that have been passed down for, you know, hundreds, thousands of years. Um, so I think it's amazing that, you know, you deciding to go off, be single, go off and travel the world is so empowering. And, you know, I'm so excited to see where we're going to go, go over the next few generations. Thank you. I'm humbled to have (laughs) that response from you, Megenheim, but thank you. And I think, yeah, it's that, I don't know, I almost sometimes think that it's actually speaking to the older generations, you know, if we're lucky enough to be able to speak to our grandmas about this, you know, that... 
they they have a better perspective because you're almost I don't know I I mean I imagine your grandma is immensely proud of what you're doing and almost there's a level of that's what she would have wanted to do yeah I definitely had some some fascinating conversations with her over yeah travel and the things that she would have liked to have done and uh, things and for she always so she like she's an amazing woman like she made a decision because I think when her father died her mother kind of moved in with her and was quite negative but didn't really want to explore the world or really interact with anybody and became very reclusive and my grandmother's like I'm that's not going to happen to me so when my grandfather died my grandfather died relatively young really so she was in her early 50s so she just threw herself into the local community. She was then you know, kind of running these gardening clubs and working for the CAB and doing all of these different projects and stuff. And, you know, she'd travel around and see us. So I was at university in the Lake District. She'd come and visit me. When I was living out in Chamonix, she came out to Chamonix and we went snowshoeing. And so she was just like, we just wanted to explore the world. And she did a degree in psychology like a few years ago as well like online so like it's just just so inspiring and I think it it just made me realize like how much of of life and how we interact and react to it uh, emotionally is is choice Mm. I'm just sorry I'm just getting this image of you and your grandma snowshoeing through uh, Chamonix I I love that I love that (laughs) oh it's so cool yeah so cool she was a big inspiration or she is a big inspiration in your life in terms yes yeah yeah, yeah. I remember she, she, was, she was the person that I was able to have conversations with yeah, about sex and, well, everything really. So, you know, I, I learned so much from her and like the open discussions and things um, that I've had with her like over the years of, yeah, I've kind of, I suppose, helped shape my life and like, you know, how I talk to, talk to other people and things as well. So, yeah, very fortunate to have her in my life. Uh. Well, you know, we have a lot to thank her for. And I love that I love that she's doing a psychology, well, she's done a psychology degree yeah. as well. I feel like you're sort of buddying up and, and <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, and so we're actually coming towards the end of the episode. I've loved every minute of this. Thank you for, for this, this chat. Uh, the, the final question that I ask on this podcast is after a big chat about alone time, in all its guises, what is your ultimate alone time? The time when spending time by yourself is positive restorative joyful being in nature so like running through the mountains or or rock climbing and just like moving like feeling like my mind and my body connecting just being very present and like experiencing the state of flow like that for me is like the ultimate aloneness and I don't know if it's considered alone but being with my dog as well in the mountains is like ultra special I don't know if it's considered alone because I've had a lot of chat about this on the podcast and I'm not really I'm not sure I think I think it is I think it is what do, what are the for and against I mean I, I I wonder because obviously you have a degree in psychology as well do you, do you see a lot more sophistication that like, do you consider your dog a sort of person as well uh, I don't consider her a person or a, or, a, or a child <laughs> like she's an animal but she's I do think that they are highly intelligent I'm not sure their brains work in the same way that ours do but she's like she's incredibly intuitive, very communicative in when she wants or needs something. And it's like when I, if I watch her, there's definitely like a higher level of thought processing going on there, which I think, you know, something that we kind of really need to learn you know, in how we treat animals and, and things like you can learn so much just from watching, watching a dog. So, yeah, I don't know, running in the mountains with her. I don't know if that counts as big a <laughs> <'cause>, <laughs> but it's just that, you know, that it's that bond with 
yeah something that's just so so keen to be on the journey with you and yeah just so excited and happy by life I think we can learn so much from from dogs when you're just watching them be very present in their sniffing and <laughs> and uh, like what they're and like watching them seeing them like observe the world around them as well <laughs> okay well let's let's let that uh, exist in the gray area but it's a beautiful bond either way whether it constitutes alone or not I think it's wonderful and just so bonus question I'm gonna throw this in there because you've traveled I don't know pretty much all across the world at this point where where is your favorite scene to sort of you know bit of scenery to look over when you're alone <laughs> I think um I love the jungle I kind of have a love-hate relationship with it uh, because you've really got to look after yourself. So any like any kind of external stresses, like, you know, what's going on in your life back at home, those things kind of get left behind because it's it's such a hot human environment. And if you're there for kind of weeks living in hammock and kind of moving through dense jungle, uh, you don't have time to be thinking about anything else. All your time's kind of taken up with just surviving and existing. So, um, yeah, I, I kind of, I really love it. It's so such a tough environment. Wow, I did not expect that answer. That sounds incredible. <laughs> oh, thank you, Megan. It's been such a great discussion. No, thank you so much. I, as I said at the start, you know, it, this is such a powerful message. So, you know, well, congratulations for, for yeah, getting that message out there. It's amazing. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.